Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group edited, edited, headed, headed <laughs> by yours truly, Jason Rudy. And uh, as you know right now, hopefully many of you have watched Lady Hyde more than one time uh, on Tubi or Momitu or coming up soon, hopefully Amazon Prime because they picked it up back in October, so I'm still waiting for them to actually add it to their service. But uh, yeah, so hopefully it'll be there before the end of the year. We'll see. But uh, yeah, thank you all for uh, watching that. Numbers are great. Um, Keep it up. If you like it, watch it again. Uh, Please share it on any of your social medias. Tell other people about Lady Hyde. And uh, if you dig it, please share the word. Let everybody know. It's on Tubi and other places. And uh, feel free to comment on it and Spread it all about social media. Spread the word of that and the Franco Observer podcast. And I'll just say this right at the beginning. Go ahead and download and subscribe. Uh, if you subscribe, you'll have an episode every week in your um, mailbox. In this month, since it's a holiday month, I will be adding a bonus episode that will drop on Christmas Day, Christmas morning, uh, 1225. And so you'll have uh, five episodes this month instead of four. So, yeah, have them all on the usual Wednesday and then an extra episode on the Sunday morning at uh, 1 a.m. West Coast time. So be on the lookout for that. So, yeah, you'll have, that's a little uh, news flash here. You'll have a bonus episode this month. So, yeah, check that out. Uh, like I said, like the show, tell a friend, tell people about it. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Amazon Music, we're on, um, what are we on here, uh, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, all your radio f- favorite platforms. If you want to get a hold of us, you can at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. We got uh, Facebook and Instagram sites. You can add us there and all that stuff. And, of course, my mission statement is bringing the, oh, I'm sorry, praise and memory of Jess Franco, which we always do, bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. And uh, through this podcast and my film, I'm definitely doing that. So, so enough about me. Now on to what we're here for, Uncle Jess. So, right now we are at the 1982 period of his career here at the Franco Observer Podcast. And uh, the film today we are observing and I will be reading from and learning about and commenting on and reviewing later either by myself or with a guest or guests is today episode 119 film 120 it is Lillian La Virgin Pervertita and let's see yep everything looks good okay and that's the Spanish theatrical title Lillian and then in parentheses the Virgin Corrupted and uh, of course we get the all the information on this from the book Flowers of Perversion, by uh, Volume 2, by Stephen Thrower. And uh, let's see. So yeah, the alternative title, uh, Liliana. That's the original 36-page script title. Okay, so this is a 36-page script. So that's cool. So 36 pages, that's why I usually write, because they always say, well, not usual. Usually rule of thumb is one page for one minute. But when you do action sequences or, um, you know, surveying landscapes or doing that, that's obviously however much time you 
stay on those sequences or shots that's going to expand your time so a lot of times for me if i'm doing a 70 minute film uh, my i usually go about 35 to 40 something pages so here he's doing a uh, 36 page script for about a uh, 80 minute film so yeah it's about right on right on when i'm with uh, what i write um okay production company of course this is the golden films portion so this is from golden films international out of barcelona and the distributor is Golden Films International as well. Timeline on this uh, shooting date is uh, November of 1982. They got the legal number on February 28th of 83. It played Madrid June 25th of 84. Well, that's a two-year drop, or a year and a half, uh, between when it was made and when it played, and you'll learn why. Uh, Barcelona, September 17th, 84, and then finally Seville, December 5th of 1984. Uh, theatrical running time, Spain, 79 minutes. Uh, the DVD running time converted. The Spanish uh, Interview Pal DVD, um, 75 minutes, 36 seconds. So, yeah, that's about the time of it, 75-minute film. Writer-director, uh, of course, you know who it is because we have a podcast and who we all look to, Jess Franco. But here he's billed as... Clifford Brown, once again, he hasn't used that name for a while, but uh, yeah, named after the famous jazz musician. So Clifford Brown, um, director of photography, Jess Franco, but as Joan Almoral, which is one of the uh, aliases I've been using for director of photography credits. Uh, camera assistant, Enrique Diaz. Music, Daniel White, but he's billed as Pablo Vila. And uncredited, Jess Franco. Uh, let's see, we got here. Uncredited, first camera operator, Jess Franco. Makeup, Juana de Morena. Production manager, Antonio Mayans. Editor, Jess Franco. And then, of course, Stella and Emilio Laraga as the executive producers, the ones behind Golden Films. So, once again, we have Jess Franco as the writer, director, director of photography, music, camera operator, and editor. Yep, just like me. Awesome. All right. Now you know another reason why I like to do this podcast. Because uh, I always learn. And hopefully you do too. Uh, cast. Uh, Katja Bennett returns once again. This is, uh, gosh, this is probably about her fourth or fifth film by now. She had done, um, uh, what was the one we just did before? We did um, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Yeah, so she's in Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. She's in... Um, uh, She's back in the Emmanuel one, I know for sure. So, oh yeah, this is like her third film, yeah, because she's in that um, uh, Sinfonia. She's in. Uh, pardon me for this, actually. Yeah, she's in. Um, well, that goes way back. I'm trying to go back through my notes here. Um, Sinfonia Erotica, Viola Luna, Miel, Cecilia, Erotismo. Yeah, I don't, I don't think she's in Cecilia. She's in. Um, Sentomania, Makuma Sexual. Could have swore she was in the, um... Anyway, I don't want to go over that. But yeah, this is like her, about her third or fourth film now for Jess Franco. It might say in the book, so... But yeah, so anyway, Katja Bennett, of course, she's 18 by now, uh, as of the last film. She had done two films, two or three films before she was 18, and now two films after this. Um, and of course, she plays the lead role of Lillian. Uh, Antonio Mayans returns, of course, in all the films, as Robert Foster... He uh, is billed as that, and his character is Mario 
Pereira. Not Al Pereira, that's interesting, but Mario Pereira. P-E-R-E-I-R-A. Then we have Emilio Linder as Horg Maranda, crime boss and pimp. Um, Marie Carmenito as Mammy Kaplan. She plays Olga, a prostitute in a nightclub. Of course, Mari Carmenito was uh, nude in uh, the last film, of course, Diamonds Kilimanjaro, one of the high spots in that film. Uh, then we have Jose Lamas as Jose, Miranda's servant. Daniel White returns as Pablo Vila. He plays the chief of police this time. Last time he was the great white uh, chief of the tribe. Now here he's the chief of police. Uh, Lena Romay, as billed as Candy Coster, is Irina, the nightclub owner. And Rosa M. Martin, as Rosa Stander, plays Mara, the blonde prostitute who gives evidence to Pereira. Uncredited, Jess Franco as Bernardo Fata Morgana, as the barmaid at the nightclub. Mari Carmen Gialonzo, as an older woman in S&M stage act with Irina. And finally, Genoveva Ojeda, slash Ava Palmer. All right, she's awesome. Uh, she is the curly-haired girl in S&M stage act with Irina. All right, production notes. Um, this is interesting stuff, so hang on. Lillian, La Virgin Perverta, was originally shot by Franco around November 1982 as an erotic thriller for the S-rated market. Unfortunately, by the time it was ready for release in 1984, Spanish censorship laws had changed. Film S's for softcore. Films with softcore erotic content, which used to be classified S for general release, were now included in the newly created X certificate. Uh, bracket and could only be shown in designated Sala X theaters. So, yeah, so basically he shot a softcore film, and by the time a year and a half gone by, now it's rated as an X-rated film. So he has a film with softcore content only that could be shown in a hardcore theater, and basically people weren't interested in that because if you're going to go see an X-rated film, you want to see an X-rated film, not softcore stuff. Um, such venues were disinclined to book a film if it didn't offer the fully explicit material which audiences expected from X-certificate films. So, the comparatively mild Lillian had to be beefed up to match the new criteria. Consequently, in the early months of 1984, Franco shot 15 minutes of new material to turn Lillian into a hardcore film. In the process, several scenes from the original version were dropped to avoid the running time exceeding the average for X-certificate bookings. The material that was cut made its way into Las Chuponas, a hardcore film with softcore inserts, which Franco made for Furvy Films in 1985. The revamped Lillian played its first Sala X show at the Oxford in Madrid in June 1984. Alright, review by Stephen Thrower. Um... Lily and the Virgin Perverta is another bounce around the Sedean echo chamber, starring Katja Bennert as a young girl fleeing from a pair of cruel mindbenders who have ensnared her in a mire of drugs and depravity. It begins abruptly, as Bennert stumbles into a bedroom to find a young couple, Jose Lamas and Lena Romay, munching at each other's nether regions in a 69 position and if this hardcore scene feels odd it's because it was added a year later after a change in the law made Franco's softcore version unsellable. The film really begins a minute or two later with some deliciously moody shots of Bennett running naked across the sand dunes at sunset. 
Lillian's chief problem is overfamiliarity. Yet another story about an innocent girl sexually exploited by an immoral couple. The film is a misma of familiar ideas and images, further enhanced by the use of musical cues from earlier movies. We know these faces, we know these places, we know these sights, we know these sounds. Yet, it's a problem that Franco devotees may regard as a bonus, since the net effect is simply to extend, by one more film, the reverberating echo chamber of his cinema. That's me. Lillian lacks originality, but it's still very enjoyable. It's another languid dip into Franco's whirlpool bath of imagery. You want one of Jess's hallucinogenic sex scenes? Lillian is drugged and ravished to the accompaniment of heavily treated gasps and moans on the soundtrack, leading to yet another zonked-out flagellation scene. Lena Romay plays a brothel madam called Irina, who sobs and moans of the victim's rise and fall until Lillian begins to feel like a remix of the director's greatest hits. A disco mashup as favorite situations, sexual sadism as comfort, food, only in the strange and dizzying world of Jess Franco. In deference to Katja Bennett's tender years, the hardcore aspect of Lillian's ravishment is achieved via close-up of another actress. At least they were shot on the same film stock, which is more than can be said for earlier soft-slash-art combos like Sexorcisme, Levelusis, and Le Mire Obscene. Lina Romay, the ever the trooper, dives in for the hardcore close-ups, lapping sperm from an ejaculated penis. Her co-star in the scene, Emilio Linder, appears not to have been directly involved. Among the other actors to let it all hang out in the sexual scenes is Jose Lamas, by now an indispensable member of the Franco team. Here he plays the bisexual Jose, Lillian's supposed friend and confidant, who turns out to be just as corrupt as the others. We see him tied up and sexually humiliated in a nightclub stage show, presided over by Irina, who whips and inflates him before spreading her pussy and putting on a lesbian floor show in the bargain. Into the bargain. Lillian watches, stoned and detached, unable to process what she's seeing. It's all mildly kinky, though, hints of anal intrusion with the handle of a whip are left off screen, suggesting that even at the dawn of a brave new world for Spanish porn, there were still a few sexual frontiers Franco hesitated to transgress. Later, we see Daniel White, fresh from his supporting role with Bannert in Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, playing a corrupt police chief who hangs out at Irina's club to watch Lillian being whipped and molested. As he does so, Jose Lama steps behind him and caresses his shoulder, giving us this highly unusual impression of two sadistic gay men enjoying a lesbian S&M show with oodles of split beaver cunnilingus. As I said before, only in the world of Jess Franco. It's worth noting that as we hit the mid-80s period of Franco's career, that the director's pose as a moral libertine is beginning to slip, and the issue that provokes the prevent presentational crisis is drugs. Lillian, like several other Franco films of the period, sees him expressing genuine distaste regarding the drug-taking and drug dealers. It's a train of thought we could trace back to Sinner, The Secret Diary of an Infomaniac, 1972. But in the 1980s films, it becomes an ever-present rumble of criticism, culminating in the preachy and decidedly conservative cop drama Downtown Heat, 1990. Perhaps Franco saw friends, cast members, and acquaintances getting in to difficulty with drugs at the time? Question mark. In Lillian, the central character has been dosed with heroin in order to make her submit to the villainous Jorge and Irina. Naturally, the perpetrators of such abuse are portrayed as disgusting human beings, but Mario Pereira, Mayans, and his concerned but cowardly conf- confederate Bernardo, played by Franco himself, are given to moralistic diatribes about drugs even before it becomes obvious that Lillian was forced to take them against her will. Um, 
Heroin is explicitly designated as the drug being used, but while there's no doubt that heroin is destructive and best avoided, it has to be said that Franco's attitude was the same to all moon-altering substances. The effects are portrayed in his film as, at the very least, an inductment to idiocy, or at the very worst, actively dangerous. This sets uneasy with the fact that Franco's imaginary or Franco's imagery draws obsessively on a sense of dislocation, disassociation, timelessness, erotic suspension, disorientation, and delirium. For someone so dedicated to conjuring these sensations to to simultaneously dismiss the drug experience as worthless, smacks of pusher's envy. However, the theme doesn't receive detailed scrutiny in Lillian. All that we hear about are the subject amounts to a couple of terse sentences. Faced with a liaison between corrupt authorities and wicked drug dealers, Mario Pereira turns vigilante and blows Jorge Miranda away, sticking a bullet in his servant, Jose, just for good measure. Nice. Yet neither the brushing under the carpet superior who forbades Pereira's investigation nor the corrupt chief of police himself are deemed worthy of payback by Franco's script, which grinds to a dead halt after the double shooting. Such a moralistic climax sees per Franco performing a 180-degree turn from his city in a tale such as How to Seduce a Virgin or Eugenie, where the story stood back and observed the immoral actions of city and protagonists, the only moral provision being that such a lifestyle meant waving goodbye to any kind of human closeness or trust. Here we see a far more conservative approach in which fantasies of saving the innocent lead to vigilante justice. Mario Pereira kills two men purely on the associations on the accusations of Lillian, a young woman stoned out of her mind on heroin, and Moira, an ex-lover, who's been spurned by the accused. Um, Prayer acts as satisfied that he knows the truth. Prayer acts as judge, jury, and executioner, a move that puts things in the same fantasy bag as the films of Michael Winter, the guy that did Death Wish. Uh, of course, uh, we the audience see flashbacks depicting as truth where Lillian and Marion say, Indeed, these flashbacks show much more, including things that could not have known, private conversations between the evildoers, for instance. The flashbacks are this, are thus special, pleading, proving to the audience the victim's claims are true. Pereira, however, does not have the luxury of viewing this proof. All he has to go on are the disconnected rumblings of a deeply stoned teenager and the testimony of a woman with an emotional axe to grind that he then decides to become a moral avenger and grants himself the right to kill is one thing. For the filmmaker to assert his approval of the Avenger, though, is quite another. Lily and the Verge prefer to convert climate... Okay, I want to say the last thing. Uh, qualms about Franco's moralizing aside, Lillian is more than an agreeable effort that will caress the corpuscles of devoted Franco addicts in need of their next fix. Searching through the lower echelon of the Franco filmography, you may be happy. You may happen upon it one day when you've already seen the best titles. And, if so, you will probably feel glad for its core inebriate melancholy. For anyone new to Franco who who wonders what all the fuss is about, it will probably send out all the wrong signals, from its crudely imposed porno beginning to its hilariously perfunctionary heroic ending. Lillian is too simplistic to anyone's idea of great cinema, but it nevertheless carries the scent that mad allure which overwhelms the senses in films like Macumba Sexual and Jamidos de Placer, Cries of Pleasure. Uh, You may ask, what's the point? If we've seen it all, if we've been through it all before, but... If ever a director could convey this bittersweet pleasure of repetition as it hovers between delight and disappointment, it's just Franco. All right, Franco on screen. 
At the risk of stating the blindly obvious, Franco clearly desires Katja Bennett. He's, his camera dwells upon her face and breasts so devotedly it's as he if he's kissing her through the lens. That's a good director. I've done the same. In Lillian, he personifies his fascination by playing Agent Bernardo, whose role is to wince sympathetically as the traumatized girl recounts the degradation she has suffered. In a key scene, he gazes rapidly at her nude body, as if on the verge of touching her, wanting to enjoy her young flesh. Then, with a hangdog look of shame, he averts his gaze and wanders away, sitting beside his desk, clutching a bottle of Malibu, sweaty, frustrated, and disgusted with himself. It's a role that embodies one of the binary forces propelling Franco's vision of desire. Time and time again, he allows sorrow and sympathy to creep into his depiction of rape, sexual exploitation, and licentious immorality. One thinks of The Virgin Among Living Dead, Sinner, Julieta 69, Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun, films in which the savoring of cruelty give way to tenderness in the depiction of beauty assailed. Those are actually some of my favorite ones. <laughs> Music. Uh, the credit sequence features a sad, spooky number called Big Sister, which can be found on the Daniel J. White Library LP Mood Music Selection Number 1 Cocktail. A piece for guitar and bass with wordless female vocals is the Ornella Vanoni tradition. Um, a similar but cheerier piece called Voix de Velours, which accompanies Lillian's recollections of her dialogues with Jose, is lifted from Ambiance, an earlier Daniel White LP, possibly released in 1971. Um, and let's hear it for Sexy Rock, a bouncy yet perky number enjoying its debut outing here. Cheesy yet irresistible, this toe-tapper enlivens the first nightclub scene and will go on to become a mainstay of Franco films in the next three or four years. All right, that's something to look forward to. The rest of the score includes Bass Profundo from uh, Mystery Balls album, Voix de la Vue, and two more tracks from Mood Music Selection Number 1, Magic Violins and Barbara Cool. That was used in uh, Female Vampire. Location, Antonio Mayans reports the film was made partially in the Canary Islands and connections. Uh, Lillian's rescue after fleeing from her captors recalls La Contessa Perverse and a scene in which she's dragged, drugged during a friendly meal time chat on an outdoor terrace recalls Placia Etoile and Eugenie, 1969. The nightclub setting and the theme of a girl pressed into slavery at a brothel-come-sex club recalls an earlier Benert Franco team-up, Linda, 1981, as well as the Dietrich-era production Desclaven, a.k.a. Slaves, one of my favorites, 1975. And also, to um, the uh, uh, Brigitte Leahy one, to um, Burning Inside, or whatever, Burning Up All Over. Um, let's see. He didn't put that here. Um, Emilio Linder, the Nigel Havers lookalike, who ravages Bennett, went on to appear in Franco's Quattro Cobra Espia, How Much for a Spy, and from there, a very career in Spanish TV, a substantial amount of material film during the Lillian shoot, eventually found its way into La Chupas, a hardcore-softcore hybrid which Franco pulled together in 1985. Whether these scenes were part of his original version of Lillian before being cut to make way for the hardcore scenes is unclear. See La Chuponas for more details. Also, too, I'd like to add one more thing on here that I uh, wanted to mention. Uh, I got a fan letter from one of the listeners 
who had made a very cool observation. And of course, here at the Franco Observer, we're all to observing and taking notes. And uh, let me pull up his letter here. Of course, the internet's taking forever. Let me vamp here while that's loading. This page isn't responding. Wait. Wait. All we do is wait. All right, here we go. Let's see. So I hope he doesn't mind me giving out his name. So, listener, Matt Smyers had a good observation. So, let me read his letter to you. He says, uh, possible item for your list would be, does this film pass the Bechdel test? B-E-C-H-D-E-L. Bechdel test. A shocking number of Franco films pass this test, which should horrify feminists the world over, or at least give folks pause on what Franco was all about. I've been watching them in Stephen Thrower's order and listening to your commentary as I go. I started keeping track of if they passed the Betcher test or not. So far, I'm pleasantly surprised at the results. And he has a list here of... Uh, Let's see. Wow, there's quite a few here. 4, 7, 10, 12, 14, 17, 20, uh, 3, 26, about 30-something lists here. Basically, the list is... Um, it says, I find it interesting that directors like Nick Millard, Joe Sarno, Jean Rolin, and Jess Franco, all generally considered to be sexist, actually tend to have most of their films pass the test, which I wasn't aware of this because if you are not familiar, which I wasn't, um, the criteria is pretty simple. If a movie has two named female characters in a scene together where they do not talk about a man, the film passes the test. In Count Dracula, for example, Mina has a scene with Lucy where Lucy is catatonic in bed and Mina is comforting her. I think this passes. Two named female characters, no man in the scene, and the conversation. Although only Mina talks, it is not about any of the men in the film. Just something related. Carry on, man. Love what you do. Matt. So yeah, he has uh, basically, does it pass the test? Uh, We are 18 years old, yes. Red Lips, yes. Queen of the Terran Club, yes. Uh, Awful Dr. Orloff, no. Death Whistles of Blues, no. Baron Von Klaus, no. Rafifi in the City, no. Jaguar, no. Uh, Dr. Orloff's Monster Unknown. Dr. Z, yes. Attack of the Robots, yes. Uh, Residence for Spies, yes. Unknown. Uh, Lucky Inscrutable, no. Succubus, yes. Kissing Monster, yes. Two Undercover Angels, yes. Pretty much yes all the way down from Blood of Fu Manchu all the way to... Uh, Devil came from Askava with all the sold-out Miranda films, all the Harry Allen Tower films. Those all registered as yes, except for Eugenie Desaad, probably because of um, um, Paul Mueller. So there. So yeah. So yeah, he mentions that. Also, too, it's funny. Uh, I'm going to mention one other thing in his in his note. Um, he talked about the uh, Franco list. You know, the famous Franco list that we have with the thing. He says, um, "I was watching some new movie the other night, and it opened with a body of water." and sailboats 
and I just started wondering if the director was paying homage to Franco in some way. Then I was looking for other items as it went through. Oh, dancing in a club. Oh, a red gel, etc. You see, your list has permeated the way I watch movies now. And I responded back to him, yes, the same way. I tend to watch current films, and I'll see things on the Franco list, and I start giggling because I uh, want to start making notes, but then I don't. So, All right, so I just wanted to share that uh, letter. So I say, if you want to get a hold of me and uh, ask any questions or send any suggestions or things you see, um, like uh, like our friend Matt did here, you can uh, always reach us at uh, Franco Observer, one word, Franco Observer, at yahoo.com and uh, yeah send it to me Jason Rudy and I will talk to you about it so alrighty well uh, hang out past the break and listen to the review of Lillian Buenas noches maha alright we are back with the Franco Observer Podcast, this being episode 119, film 120, Lillian, La Virgin Peretita, the virgin corrupted or virgin perverted. Um, due to time constraints and myself uh, changing jobs, uh, I had to do this review by myself, a solo review, but uh, letting you know. The next two films, which is uh, Night Has a Thousand Desires and The Sexual Story of O, will be co-reviewed with me by a Collie from Los Angeles once again. So she was a little, uh, not upset, but a little bit uh, perverted, no, perturbed that she couldn't do this episode with me. But our schedules aren't clicking right now, so... Yeah, we got to do this one solo in order to stay. Sometimes when you do a weekly thing like that, you have to either build up a good um, bank of episodes ahead of time, which I've done in the past. But uh, lately I've just been doing them just before the week. So, you know, sometimes time is that way. I've been really busy right now, actually, filming uh, She Knows Ferratu, which as of this recording, we just wrapped day seven. Got about three more days left with the other crew maybe a pickup day shot or something down the line. But uh, yeah, got the main bulk of filming behind me on that. Got a um, Emmanuel in Sin City coming out in January, starting a new job tomorrow, and um, editing uh, She Knows Ferratu and everything else. And of course, doing weekly podcast and uh, working and living and all that other good stuff. Fix my house up. So yeah, tons of stuff. So anyway... On to my review of Lillian. Um, this film, even though I read ahead of time what it was and stuff, um, really graphic film. That definitely the hardcore inserts were not shocking because you know I've seen a lot of porno, but uh, just kind of like whoa, I didn't. Because a lot of times Jess wouldn't spend as much time on those shots. He would use them and then kind of. But this, he's like taking his time showing the hardcore inserts, and I was just like, wow, that's interesting. So. Saw a lot more of uh, Jose Lamas and Lena and, and um, let's see what's her name, Genoveva Ojeda, Ava Palmer, um, who uh, they use her even though – and there's one shot where uh, later on in the film, Lena's uh, uh, got her drugged and having sex with her and, and then she uses a dildo on her and 
they do just a close up of her vagina and that, and uh, it's supposed to be uh, Katja Benner, but you know it's not her because hair is different, and everything and color and everything. Uh, and then they can't. Then he pans up. It's funny. He pans up, and you see uh, Gina Viva Ojeda slash Ava Palmer's face kind of on. You know, as he sees her whole body basically, and her face is kind of out of focus, and the front of her is in focus. But you could tell it's not Katja Benner. And I looked real close, and, and it's uh, Gina Viva Ojeda, just kind of like uh, out of focus. I was giggling, like, "Oh, you should have cut that shot out." But that's Franco, of course, leaving in little clips that he should have cut a few seconds before. So. Anyway, so hola, buenas noches. Let's talk about this film. Uh, so yeah, six seconds in, we get our first nudity, basically. Um, it's Lena and Jose Lamas. That's uh, what I guess I'd read. Um, let's see, yeah, Jose Lamas is the one that does the uh, the uh, graphic sex scenes with Lena. Uh, you see his penis and everything. So Yeah, so the first uh, six seconds in the film, uh, which is some of the new inserts that were shot after the fact. If you listen to the beginning, you know about that. So yeah, the the real film doesn't start until after the opening sex scene when she wanders onto the beach, and then that's the original film started from there. And this new scene was added on the beginning. And the new scene, of course, is uh, Lillian opening the door of a room, and the first thing she sees is uh, Lena on top and Jose Lamas on the bottom, uh, doing a sixty-nine. And uh, first you see them, and then she's watching them. Then you see the close. At first it looks obviously staged, and then you see the uh, graphic close-up of Lena blowing him and then him licking her and everything. So they're like, well, that's no faking it there. So we see all the close-ups of that. And then we see um, new footage of Lily and her POV running along these uh, grounds of the location that they filmed on this like really nice palatial mansion uh, area. Um, so she's running away from that. And then she uh, is on the beach and there's a title sequence um, of her against the Rising uh, Sun, uh, which he's used before in other films. And it's cool. So going back and looking at uh, the past films, um, which this film reminds me of a mix of um, Linda, um, which, of course, Katja Bennertson, um, D. Sklavin, Slaves, and uh, Black Boots, Leather Whip, um, Los Abernales, Pickup Girls, which... Uh, Franco uses the credit in that as director Clifford Brown, and in this he's Clifford Braun, B R A W N, which I like Clifford Braun instead of Clifford Brown. Uh, but yeah, he's funny. He's using that a variation of his other alias, which Clifford Braun, B R A W N. I think I'm going to use that in one of my new films. Uh, it's also a mix of uh, Eugenie uh, with Katja Bennett, uh, Erotismo. And also remind me a little bit of a Jabre de Prato, um, burning up all over. Uh, the whole abduction and the uh, the couple, the man and the woman, and kidnapping a younger girl and drugging her and selling her into sex slavery, basically that same theme. So yeah, those films all have that same type of theme where some have Al Pereira, some don't. This does. Uh, investigating a sex ring of basically... Um, rich individuals who operate above the law and are able to get away with things. And then the detective that's tired of it and wants to just carry out the rightful law and do the right thing, even though his hands are tied. So, yeah, I always dig those that genre of Jess Franco film. And this one fits definitely into this. So I definitely enjoyed this more than I thought I would, which is always interesting to say because I do it all the time. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's pros and cons to this. I'll go through those. In my opinion, of course. Um, so yeah, we have. Um, so she's running on the beach, and uh, Antonio Mayans finds her, and he's got like long hair and a beard, and this he looks really cool. Got the gray in his beard and everything, black hair, black black beard. And uh, he drives her back to their place, and he's a um, he's a he's like a he's a uh, inspector or a cop. Him and Jess Franco of like this this like village area, so they have different territories. And him and Jess Franco are these kind of like detectives and inspectors that run this area of uh, the islands. And uh, so, uh, but when we see Jess, he's like asleep on his desk, and he has a bottle of Malibu rum on his desk with him. And he wakes up, and they bring her in, lay her down, and check her out. And he sees that uh, she's German. They talk to her. And she has needle marks up and down her arm. She was basically hit with heroin, and she's an addict. And um, it's weird. So Franco uses a lot of fisheye lens for some of these early shots of the grounds of her POV and then kind of um, some of the people in the club and other weird stuff. It's interesting. He's trying to show it from kind of a scared like her POV, but it's, it works and it doesn't work, but it's kind of jarring because it doesn't fit the flow of the other stuff, which is not supposed to, but I don't know. It's, it's, I, I probably wouldn't have done it, but I see why he did it. And he's done it before with some Dietrich films, but, uh, yeah, so did that. Um, and, uh, we had a really beautiful mansion, uh, with pool by the place where the, basically Katja Bennett comes into the club and she's discovered by Lena and they decide to uh, bring her in and drug her and, and, and take her virginity and then get her hooked on drugs and have sex with her more and more and then break her into uh, having a drug habit where she has to pay for her drug habit by having sex with their clients and forced prostitution, basically. And, uh, yeah, so, which is a theme, like I said before, he's done many times. But, yeah, so they talk to her and see that she's German and that she came into the area and, and she... As she's laying there, uh, naked, kind of recovering, talking to Franco and Mayans, we see the series of flashbacks of her describing um, what happened. Um, what happened with uh, um, her and how she came to be in this position where she's at now, you know, strung out and you know, all going through withdrawals. Um, uh, we have the um, her and Lena. And um, uh, George, who's uh, played by Mr. Where's he at on here? Um, not Jose Lamas. Well, they don't put him on the credit. That's bizarre. Oh, there he is. Um, Emilio Linder, George Miranda, crime boss and, primp and pimp. Um, Emilio Linder is good in this. He has a... Um, him and Lena suddenly tell an off-color joke about uh, two gay men and patriotism, about putting rocks in their baggage and being uh, questioned by these guards. And then she gets really lightheaded, and they take her into the room, and she's kind of out of it. They put some in her drink, like GHB or something. And then uh, they have a threesome with her, Lena, and uh, the uh, uh, George Mayans character, or George Miranda character. And... Uh, and then they do close-ups of insert shots of Lena and, uh, uh, I'm sorry, insert shots of a, a penis in a vagina, but I think it's uh, uh, Jose Lamas or Emilio Linder, I'm not sure, but probably Jose Lamas and Genoveva Ojeda 
because of the pubic hair and everything. And then it cuts to Lena masturbating in a close-up with her pubic hair, uh, masturbating um, while she watches the other two people have sex. Um, and there's more voiceover, uh, dubbed-over shots and insert shots, more sex of supposedly Katja Bennett having sex with another client and Lena watching and then her moaning and crying and screaming kind of over that footage, even though it's not her, but it's her voice. Uh, it's really odd. That's really odd scene. And then Lena watches and then she basically steps into the scene when the guy is ejaculating and basically licks his come up with the magic tongue scene. And I wrote, wow, like it's pretty much, that's the scene with Lena. She does it all with her tongue, magic tongue. And you see her wipe up the area. Um, then we have the scene where basically Franco and them and Antonio Mayans talk about what's going on. And, uh, agent Pereira talks to the inspector about the drug trafficking and the powerful people. And, uh, of which uh, Pablo Vila, otherwise known as Daniel White, the music guy, is here again. He's basically one of the higher-up officials, and he's above the law, and he participates in the prostitution ring as well. And he talks to Agent Prayer about it and tells him not to interfere and mind his own business and blink. So I noticed that the club that they're in, uh, that's the kind of the sex club that Lena and them run, um, it's got like white rocks on the ceiling and it's got tiles on the side and it's got this spiral staircase. And when I was reading about fearing the tropics before it was fearing the tropics, the original version where the, um, instead of the Pablo Vila's inside of his hut, how they filmed it later with the Euro scene, it said it was in a small dark club with tile floor, tile walls and a spiral staircase and dark rock ceilings, so I'm almost sure this is the club that Franco used in the original version of Fury of the Tropics, but he just underlit it and made it look like it was a cave because of the white rock ceilings and the spiral staircase in the middle. And uh, tiles, I don't know how you could tile a cave, but I guess you could. So, yeah, so I'm pretty sure that's the club that he used in the original version. Now I'm going to try to find that version on DVD and see if uh, that cave's in there like that. So... Uh, so yeah, I noticed that. I wanted to point that out. So if you watch that, you'll know. Um, so yeah, we have a stage show, which you can always talk about that on the Franco list. The stage show here is Lena and uh, chained up uh, Jose Lamas, and she's in like a leather deal, corset and stuff. She's uh, whipping the shit out of him while uh, these two other girls kind of join in, and they basically um, masturbate him. And then Lena blow, uh, blows Jose Lamas on stage, and then Lena gets oral from another woman, which is uh, Genoveva Ojeda slash Ava Palmer. And uh, it's funny. So that's going on. Like there's a big sex scene going on with like three, four people. And there's like Dixieland jazz music playing over it, which I found pretty funny. It's like. It's a very, very odd. So, yeah. Um, and what's very odd about that is. So, you know how Franco always shoots on a stage and then he cuts to an audience watching. Well. This, I'm almost sure it's the same club because we see some of the other patrons in those cutaway shots mixing with other people, and it's the same location, but he probably shot them watching something else, and then he shot that with the girls later, and Lama's probably away from people at the same place, probably close set. But it's funny because there's people watching, and he always shows them laughing and like giggling and just having a great time, even though there's like... 
you know, Lena's blowing him or, or there's a leather whip going into her vagina. People are just laughing so really hard. Like, what's so funny about that? They should be more like staring and being turned on or, or interested, not just laughing and smiling and like they're listening to a comedy show or something. It's very odd. But yeah, if you follow the, uh, Franco Observer podcast on Instagram, you'll see one of the stills I took from that scene. Also, too, with copyright infringement, uh, there's a woman wearing a uh, rolled-up sleeved um, Charlie Brown peanut shirt, which was pretty funny. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, so then we have a scene of uh, Lillian, uh, the main character. She's being whipped by another woman off screen while the old policeman watches Daniel White slash Pablo Vila. Um, and it's a woman with the corset. And she's whipping like toward the camera. Then you see Katya Bennett laying there and she's being whipped by a similar whip. But then as we see a hand come in from out of frame, it looks like Jess Franco's hand and he's kind of whipping her softer, but still letting the cat of nine tails type long whip lashes, whip her body with the, with the color, maybe like fake blood on the, uh, end of the whip. So it leaves red marks on her body. Um, but you can tell he wanted to do it or he's doing it off camera because you see a hand come in and I'm almost sure it's his hand, maybe Lena's, but probably his. And then we see the woman off camera in a corset whipping toward the camera like it's her and the old man and, and uh, Lamas watching with his hand on his shoulder like his boy toy type character. And uh, he's getting off on that. So it's a really sleazy scene. But uh, yeah, I was laughing because I'm like, hey, that's Franco whipping her. So it's funny because she's in the scenes, but she's not in the scenes the way they piece them together little bit of off-camera shenanigans there. Uh, so then we have, again, Lena's magic tongue with Lillian, but it's her body double. It's uh, Genoveva Ojeda, where uh, it's really graphic. Lena's basically um, giving her oral, and then she uh, takes out a dildo, and the woman has, like, screaming sound effects over, and she's, like, penetrating her with a dildo, and you see it, like, working it in. And it's quite long, and it's, he takes his time with that scene. So, yeah, it's talking about a lot of the insert scenes are a lot longer in this film, which, um, I don't know. Um, I do like when he mixes in films, mix graphic sex in films, but I don't like them being the length of it. If you watch a porno film where they're like, say, you know, 10 or 12 minutes, even though for myself, I know I'm guilty of when I did, uh, Emmanuel and Sin City, the two girls scene, it's lengthy, but it's like maybe three, four minutes and it's like the one scene and it's not, it's not graphic, but it's just a lengthy scene. But with him, he's showing the graphic insert shots for a longer time. So I guess that's the difference. I don't like to see those penetration shots or anything that's really graphic or an extended time because it just it changes your perspective of what you're trying to watch So and for the meaning of watching it. And it is okay to be erotic and titillated and turned on by things, but if you're just watching it for that, and you know, if you could stay with the film and be raised up and not have to finish and just carry yourself through to the end. That's, that's the goal, you know, because you're cutting you off the rest of your film. If you put those things in because people stop and whatever, clean themselves up if they're getting off on it or getting overtaken by it. So you got to have it all the way through in a, in a, in a work of art and then be turned on after the fact. And then if they want to relieve themselves or whatever, they have to get it out of their system. That's one thing, but to do it in the middle of a film and, it's like putting commercials in or something. It just destroys the flow of the film. So that's my perspective on that. So, yeah, that's one thing with this. I wish he would have cut the penetration and the graphic scenes down a little less and uh, put back in some of the 
other scenes that he cut out the softcore stuff that he put in a later film. Uh, I think it was like Los Chuponos or something like that. I talked about it in the earlier part of the film, but yeah, it'd be cool to have a little bit of that, maybe a little five minute difference. Cause this is still a short film. It's like uh 72, 73 minutes, something like that. So it's, it's quite short, but the version I watched is, uh, from, um, trash palace. And, uh, yeah, this is the one with all the full graphic stuff. Um, it was actually a, a good clean copy. It's DVD-R, um, widescreen in Spanish with English subtitles. Uh, subtitles didn't pop right up. I had to go to my menu and choose that option, and then it came up. And, yeah, very, very good. I uh, was impressed by this. This is something with the graphic sex scenes that I don't think Severin would put out. Um, it would be interesting if they went back to that Los Chuponas and took those scenes that were shot for Lillian back out and put them back in and seen if there was like a flow to it and then maybe shorten these scenes or took, take out the graphic sex, the graphic penetration scenes and release maybe that type of a director's cut or if they release this version with the graphic sex, maybe Vinegar Syndrome would put that out, you know, because they're more, uh, have more of a leeway with, with that and they've released um, X-rated films and, and past adult films from the 70s and 80s and beyond you know, um, before. So I think that's more up their alley. So yeah. Um, I liked it. It's cool. Uh, music's odd. There's a lot of good stuff to it. Uh, Katja Bennett's good. Um, Antonio Mines is really good. Frank was good in it. Uh, Emilio Linder's good. Um, Mari Carmenito is one of the prostitutes is good in this. Jose Lamas is good. Uh, Pablo Vila, Daniel White's funny. Um, Lena Romay plays Candy Coster. Of course she's good. Um, Franco plays Clifford Brown, which is funny. Uh, Franco's good in this. Yeah, he's a little bit moralizing about the dangers of drugs and stuff. But um, it's funny because he asks her about, like, well, when you were younger at home, did you ever do drugs? And she said, no, no, no. And he's, like, worried about that instead of asking her how she got to be. And he's like, she's like, no, only when I came over here and they drugged me. And I, I never did it on my own. So, yeah, it's funny. He's, like, really kind of moralizing with that. So. All right, well, uh, since this is just me talking, like on the solo ones, they're a little bit shorter because there's no back and forth. So um, I'm going to go into the Franco list right now. This is a list that I've put together over the span of episodes. Um, it's always kind of added upon. There might be some things I might take away, but I don't know. I figured we've come this far. Uh, why strip away unnecessary blocks? It's held the foundation up this far, so... Keep men. They're there for a reason. They're not load-bearing bricks, but they're still important bricks, I guess, even if they're not used. So, all right, here we go. List the Franco list. All right. Number one, Body of Water. Yes, we see Body of Water by uh, Jose Lombas's house. Or, I'm sorry, by uh, George Miranda's place. Uh, you see the sea next to the swimming pool, which was similar like in... Uh, What's with George Sanders? I think Girl from Rio, there's a scene like that uh, where he has the crime boss and you see the pool and the woman. So it's a really, really nice area. So I always dig that. Which actually, too, there's a scene of this with a girl with a um, leather deal. One of the three girls on the stage show that has this leather kind of shoulder pads deal without the pads, but just that framing that looked like one of the uh, girls in Girl from Rio that was one of the soldiers that outfits they wore. So it's kind of similar design on that for the the black leather. It's interesting. I didn't think about that till just now. 
Uh, number two, sailboat, or number three, boats. Yes, we see a sailboard first, then we see sailboats and boats in the harbor where Mayans uh, is going into town to investigate. Um, so you see in that area, that part of the film. Number four, palm trees. Yeah, I see palm trees pretty much the whole film, uh, the beginning and middle and toward the end and different parts. Palm trees are right around there. Uh, number five, uh, is there jungle sound effects? No jungle sound effects. It's not really a jungle film. And when we did this list, that was kind of the primary thing because it was always the funny animals and all the stuff that would or wouldn't fit in the jungles. But lately with these sex films, he does a lot of uh, the sound effects with the voiceover, with the moaning and weird sounds like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of the voiceover by Katja, the moaning, the distorted uh, cries and stuff like that. So we have that type one there. Uh, number six, Chained Up Person. Yeah, you definitely have one on the uh, the sex show. Um, Jose Lamas' character is chained up on stage. And Alina's whipping him and they're stroking him and everything, blowing him and all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, number seven, Dance Scenes on Stage Stripping. Yeah, once again, there's the stage show I mentioned uh, you have that one with Lena and him and the girls and then you also have one with uh, I think Lena or another woman or something yeah, I think there's like two different stage shows in here I forgot but yeah there's definitely that uh, number eight club scenes dancing bar yeah the very beginning uh, when Katja Bennett comes into the club that Lena and them run you see people dancing and the lady at the bar and everything so that fulfills that part Number nine, jazz music. Yes, jazz music through the film, not all the way through. It's a mix of different things, but yeah, there's definitely jazz in it. Uh, number ten, excessive zooms. Yeah, especially with the uh, sex scenes and that. Frank always zooms into the vaginas and gets a little bit closer and still a little bit closer. Uh, number eleven, out of focus. No, there's actually not a lot. He's zooming in, but he's not getting close to, over close where he goes out of focus. Number 12, mirror shots. Yeah, there's actually some cool ones. There's one where Katja Bennett's talking about having sex with the George Miranda's character until he got tired of her. And there's like a scene where he's on the bed with her and it's you see the reflection of the people outside. And then it kind of, he changes the focus and it goes out of focus and into focus. It looks really cool. And then there's a couple other more where Antonio Mayans comes in um, to his place with the with the reflection on the doors and with the mirrors and that. So use it with that, the glass, uh, number 13, uh, mind control theme. Yeah. Um, I would say yes, because she's under the control of the drugs. It's more of a addiction than a mind control, but it still controls her mind. Uh, 14 magic tongue scenes. Oh yeah. Lena, <laughs> Lena does magic tongue, of course, uh, on the woman and does the magic tongue, uh, licking up the uh, semen and a few other scenes. So, yeah, definitely Magic Tongue gets used quite in this. 15, Red Light. Yeah, we see uh, a close-up of a red light bulb in the club where Katja Bennett walks in, uh, the dance club, which should be a immediate sign right there. It's a red light club, so it's a house of ill repute, and that she should have seen that, but she did not. Number, But we did. And number 16, Sheepskin Rug. No. Uh, 16B, masturbation with a letter C item, like a cigar or a cigarette or a cane or a uh, a cock. Or Well, actually, you know what? I was going to say no, but Lena penetrates the Lewis character with a, a dildo, but it's shaped like a cock, so I don't know, I guess half point. 
17, Mad Scientist and Servant. Well, you have Lena and the George Miranda character, the kind of the man and woman couple that are evil, so that's kind of that same half point maybe on that. 18, Fish Tank Shots. No. 19, Talking Parrot or Talking Animal. No, unfortunately. 20, End Credits. Yes or No? Yes, it says Finn. F-I-N. The end. Uh, 21, Handwritten Notes, Handwritten Signs, Anything Cheesy in the Place. No, I actually didn't use any of that in here. I uh, didn't use any signs on the buildings and things looked good. 22, Spiral Staircase. Yeah, I mentioned they have that cool, cool like brass or gold kind of plated uh, spiral staircase in the middle of the uh, club. They have the the white rock ceiling. Uh, 23, Inept Cops. Yeah, well, yes and no. Yes, because you have the older cops that are uh, bought and uh, they let the rich people do what they want above the law. But then you have the good cop that is tired of it and, uh, you know, operates outside the law. So, yeah, I guess they're inept because they have to operate outside the law in order to achieve the correct results, um, but to a worse degree. So, yeah, I'd say yes. Uh, 24, belly chains. No, I didn't check any in this one. I thought there might be with this type of setting, but maybe there might be if I looked closer, but I didn't see any of the gals wearing belly chains. 25, kinks. Yeah, there's uh, a lot in here. There's uh, S&M stuff, a lot of whipping, uh, leather stuff. There's a uh, forced sex deal. There's, uh, of course, voyeurism. There's uh, abduction. There's, uh, like she's supposed to be like 17, so there's like that. There's like a lot of stuff, even though she's like 18 or 19. Um, and like just, yeah, a lot of that type of very sleazy um, stuff, you know, so quite a bit in there. Uh, number 26 is, where are we at, 25? Great headboards. No, not really. Everything's just kind of flat. There's no cool furry headboards or leather headboards or anything cool. Just all just kind of like flat walls next to the beds. Nothing fantastic. Uh, number 27, fear or desire. I'd say desire. Uh, it's all the desire of the men for her and the desire of everybody that gets filled. Of course, the fear of the woman being abducted and and being stuck in that life but then she returns to it because he talks about how they save her they take her to the hospital and then when she gets out of the hospital she goes back and works at the club and gets back into the same lifestyle because like she doesn't want to escape it it's sad but that's what they have her in that uh 28 so yeah there's fear with her 28 um acoustic guitar player no there's no acoustic guitar player on film but you hear acoustic guitar music in the soundtrack uh, 29, reading a book scene. No, there's no people reading books, but you see books on Jess Franco's desk um, as the inspector. He's got like a magnifying glass he holds to kind of show that he's investigating. And finally, number 30, is there a pee scene? Somebody's saying they have to go pee or going pee. Uh, no. Well, I kept thinking back like there might have been one, but I'm going to say no because I didn't catch it. So... Yeah, so that's the list of the Franco list, the 30 items that pop up. Maybe one or two more added by the end of this run, but we'll see. Um, maybe like were there hardcore inserts in the shot in the film? That might be one. And if so, this would be, yes, there are hardcore insert shots uh, in this of other people. That's supposed to be the people that they are, but they're not. So, yeah, there's that. So, all right, well, this looks good. Did about 30 minutes, which is good. Not too much uh, overrun, you know. Keep it uh, manageable for people. I think people like an hour episode compared to the old days when we do two hours plus or whatever. But if there's a lot of us talking, I guess it's one thing. But when it's just me rambling, you know how it is. So, 
All right, get your plugs on the top. We get your plugs on the bottom, just like uh, Lena. Get the plugs on the bottom, plugs on the top. All right, we've got a donation button on there. Feel free, especially this time of year. If you want to do a one-time donation, that's appreciated, or a reoccurring, it's up to you, however much you want, a dollar, $2, $5, $10, whatever you want. It's on there at the Red Circle page for the Franco Observer Podcast. If you want to give me a holiday gift, I'd appreciate that. Uh, we're also, please download and all the episodes as you listen to them. It's always appreciated. And subscribe if you care to get it every Wednesday morning at 1 a.m. It's always there. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and many of your other favorite platforms. Uh, if you like the show, if you like Just Franco, if you want to help me out with the Lady Hyde stuff, uh, tell people about it. Um, tell a friend, get word of mouth, post things. I Advertising is always the thing that no budget, low budget, ultra low budget stuff like Lady Hyde, like the Franco Observer Podcast, it's always something that we need. I had posted a review of a person I do not know that said, hey, I only found out about your film through a friend that posted it on Instagram or somebody I follow even on Instagram, not even somebody they know. Somebody posted Lady Hyde on there. They read about it. They decided to look at it. They watched it. They liked it. They posted it. They liked it enough to leave a review on Letterboxd and to stress that about how they didn't know about it. They had never heard about it, but they watched it. Now they liked it. And so that's how you do it. So yeah, always please, if you want to help me, if you can't give me any money, if you can't, support me in other ways you could always post and share lady hyde on 2b tv frank observer podcast and you know that doesn't cost you a thing it just costs you two seconds so keep that in mind thank you um if you want to talk to us reach a hold of me write me an email you can at franco observer at yahoo.com and as I said before you can find us on instagram and facebook under the franco observer podcast page we got them there. Um, I'm going to do a bonus episode this month for Christmas time, December 25th. So it'll be a special holiday episode for all my friends. Do not, doesn't matter what you celebrate, whether it's Hanukkah, Christmas, Solstice, Kwanzaa, Festivus, whatever. If you don't celebrate, if you don't believe in whatever, doesn't matter. I'm whatever myself i'm just a single person lives by myself orphan with no family so you know how that is so i figured hey the best i can do right now for people my holiday gift is to devote a few more hours of my day and uh, record another episode so this christmas you'll have a bonus episode of the franco observer podcast and that will be the uh, night has a thousand desires episode so Collie and I will be on there for the holiday episode. So, yeah, December 25th, it's a uh, Sunday morning. You'll have irregular Wednesdays and then an extra Sunday. So, five episodes this month. So, all righty. Well, thank you again for listening. Buenas noches, Maha. Have a good night. Be safe. Stay warm. Adios. Mm-hmm.